to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 86. Let's roll. And uh, roll on we will just after the NFL draft. Uh, me and Blake Hampton uh, recorded a, a pod just before the NFL draft. I think it stood up pretty well. I think we were pretty pretty spot on. Y'all can listen to that one if you want to go back and check it out. I think there's some things to learn from your pre-draft uh, sort of assumptions and your post-draft rankings and how things are going to change. And uh, we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more with my guest, uh, returning champion, been on the been on this pod a couple of times now, and I have been on his pod. We're going to do a little bit of a home and home, so we're going to do half and half. So you're going to have half uh, on this pod and half on his pod. And I'm talking about no other than Scott Connor. You can find Scott on Twitter at Charles Chill FFB. Y'all know Scott Connor. Scott, what is going on, buddy? Man, nice to be back. Uh, always great to, to broadcast or podcast with a fellow Scott. I uh, love Dino Game Theory. Love chopping it up with you. And in typical fashion, we put this together. Uh, you know, took less than 24 hours uh, before yeah. we're actually putting this podcast or recording this podcast. And uh, we're just going to go. We're, we Get have tons of things running. on our mind. I, I know you're like me. You're one of the few like me that is 24-7, like always thinking about angles, always thinking about things like, how can I go back to my dynasty portfolio? How can I go back to my leagues and, and try this or try that? Or what am I seeing? How can I grow from this? Uh, so it's just constantly buzzing through my mind. So I love chopping it up with you. Glad to be here back on the undrafted. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's one of the reasons I like having you on is, is of course, when I have a different guest all the time, you know, they, they bring different things out of me. You bring that out of me, which I love. It's my it's my favorite. So you're one of my favorite guests, just selfishly, because that's kind of stuff I like talking about. But, um, you know, I think the people love it, too. So they they always ask more Dynasty Game Theory stuff. And ultimately, that's what you and I really like, like talking about. So I, I find it super fun. And to that end, you know, we were talking uh, a little bit before the show about, you know, um, about some stuff. And, you know, I wonder if you want to just start right there with, you know, um, you, had, you had sent out a, a tweet, I believe, saying, you know, I'm not selling my 23 picks for anything. And I think people misunderstand exactly what, you know, 2023 versus 2022 versus, you know, class and class, what they mean. I think, well, you can explain your tweet, but I think it really just means that don't sell short on value, right? Yeah, I mean, the exact tweet was, I believe it was two days ago, and I just essentially put out something that said, uh, I'm not going to sell a random 2023 first round pick for anything less than a top 24 super flex asset. So do what you may with that definition. Whoever's in your top 24, not in your top 24, that doesn't matter. Where your cutoff point doesn't matter, whether it's top 20, top 30, it doesn't really matter. The idea is you set a threshold and you're not going to accept anything right now in May that is below that threshold. And you almost purposely set that threshold higher than you know the market is because you really don't want to trade these picks. Like if someone sends me, I've only traded, I think, 323 first in all my leagues in the last two years. So I don't move them. And that's because most of the times the offers I get, A, are really shitty. So that's the first thing. A lot of times you get low ball offers. Uh, but even if you send me a, a square offer, a pretty fair offer, that if you put a poll up on Twitter and it's 40-60 or 60-40, that generally means that like people would be on both sides. Even those offers, the point of the tweet was, 
I don't even want to make those offers right now because I know I'm holding a liquid asset that I don't know if it can get more valuable than it is, but I know it can get more in demand than it is. And that's one of the things I think people are taken aback when I talk about 23 picks. It isn't about the players you're going to draft next spring in the rookie drafts. It's about what you can do between now and then with that pick. And I think if you just do it, if you do a one-for-one trade where you're getting a fringe top 24 asset, throw out a player, Jalen Waddle or DK Metcalf or someone like that, that's a fair deal. I think most people would go, oh, I would give up a random first for T. Higgins. And that's a fair deal. But at the same time, I'm looking at it like, okay, there's a lot, especially now before the season. We're three months out before we even get to training camp. And so there's a lot that can go wrong by buying one individual player. I mean, you've talked about this. Tons of people have talked about the liquidity of picks that nothing can happen to them until you actually have to make the pick or until they become crystal clear where they're going to fall in the draft. Until then, they're ambiguous. They're kind of seen like as a global currency that everybody can use. It's like having gold during a recession. Like it's going to be valuable to somebody. More often than not, it's going to be valuable to multiple people. But that's the key is regardless of what happens to the market, there's going to be people that value it. Not everybody's going to value the players on your roster. Not everyone's going to be in a position to make deals for the players on your roster. So that's the whole idea is I'm looking at this like, hey, I'm gambling that there's extra value by having that pick because it doesn't mean I want to make all the picks. And we'll talk about that in a little bit too. I know you had a retort to me that you you don't want to make all those picks. I'm kind of banking that if I'm holding some of these picks, I'm going to be able to actually get more. And maybe it's not get more than T. Higgins or more than DK Metcalf, but I may be able to get the DK Metcalf or T. Higgins that's in the midst of a smash season when it's going on instead of doing it right now. Right now, there's probably 50 players I could buy for a 23, 23 first, but 20 of them could bust. 20 of them could get hurt. 20 of them, a lot could happen. And then I've blown all the leverage that I have between now and and the mid-season point when I probably want to start trading away these picks. So that's the strategy behind it. Um, I think you're going to get some two-for-one deals where you're getting, and these are going to be like bite-the-bullet deals. I'm looking at it like, man, I have a bunch of 23 firsts, and let's say I have two 23, let's say I'm in, I'm just hypothetical for the listeners. Say I'm in 50 leagues. I have two 23 firsts in every league. So I have 123 firsts, right, across my portfolio. I'm doing myself a disservice if I hold on to all 100. Actually, what I probably want to do is end up trading all those picks, like the third of those picks that are in the back half of those drafts, right? And I want to do that while the market still thinks that they're not in the back half of the drafts. So it's just that simple. Like there's going to be more information that I can look at during the season and go, man, this pick's looking pretty good. This pick looking like it's going to be in the top two or three. I'm putting that one aside. I'm not trading it. This one looks like probably bottom four or, or back four of the draft. That's the one I'm going to be shopping before Jax Falcone sees that it's going to be the 110. I mean, you can look at my team and say, oh, that's probably going to be the 110, 111, 112. But I want to try to sell it based on that ambiguousness. So that's that's the theory behind it. And I think a lot of people just, I mean, people replied going, oh, you're not going to give up for this player or that player. And I think the concept just went right over their head. Yeah, a lot of people make it a player analysis rather than a than a strategy analysis, which it, it is. It's strategy, right? It's it's basically well, and there's that. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have seen that uh, pick value chart, which is how uh, over the course of a calendar year, how the value of picks go up or down. 
and the best time to buy picks is during the season. So that means the worst time to sell picks is during the season, right? I mean, you know, in other words, you just got to know the value. That doesn't mean that you can't sell the pick during the season. I was thinking while you were talking, like, you know, at the beginning of the season, if you had said, oh, I'm going to buy one of these Rams receivers, either Woods or Cup, because they were going right around this, right around each other. So don't kid yourself into thinking that, you know, everybody had uh, Cooper Cup way ahead of Robert Woods. They didn't. And, you know, if you had bought Woods and not Cup, you got a, you know, an underperformer ACL injury. If you bought Cup, you got this unbelievable, you know, league winner. And the truth is, is that you probably could have, you know, used that pick. Maybe you had to pay a little bit more, but you could have bought Cup with it and won the league rather than, you know, completely crapping out and losing all the value of Robert Woods. And this is what you're talking about. You don't know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get Cooper Cup or Robert Woods from 2022 or whatever the hell season that was. I'm old. I forget all the years, Scott, now. It's unbelievable, you know. Unbelievable. Well, and it's I think that it's sometimes hard for people to rationalize this idea because we do deal in, you know, very finite player values. You know, is this player worth a future first, two firsts, a second? Like we that that's typically how we're trying to talk in context with these things. Uh, but I'm just trying to articulate that the strategy piece is it it is more about the flexibility and the fact that when we're dealing with, and this, this applies to every, any time in the off season, but especially the time before the rookie draft every year, it's the most information we're going to have on what the draft class is going to look like without having the draft capital information. But it's also the furthest time away from the information we're going to have during the season. It's the same thing that applies with running backs right now. Like when we're in these rookie drafts, we'll talk some rookie draft stuff. I mean, there's so many, quote unquote, running backs in this draft class that I kind of want to take a shot on. You know what I mean? There's probably 15 to 20 running backs that got drafted between round three through round six. And I'm like, okay, I can see a path where that guy makes the roster and he's the next man up or he's a handcuff to a decent situation. But there's so many of them right now. And there's a lot of unsigned veteran running backs that I still like that are just sitting out there. And it's probably because, you know, why would a guy like Sony Michelle sign anywhere until he sees what happens in the draft? Right. Like he could sign somewhere and then they draft two running backs in round four and round six. And they're like, yeah, Sony, you're probably not going to make the team. So and, it makes and conversely, sense. And conversely for the team, they're like, let's see what we, let's see what it, shows itself in the draft before we sign this guy and commit to him. Exactly. So it makes, it makes sense for both sides to kind of wait. So I think you're going to see an influx of running backs get signed over the next couple of weeks. But then you have like all of these backfields because we, we literally just jammed in, you know, 20 plus running backs that got drafted. And honestly, only two of them got drafted in the first or three of them got drafted in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. So it's a ton of like round three through round six running backs that were drafted this year. Plus, you know, a lot of intriguing undrafted free agents too. Then you have all these veteran running. Like my point is every backfield is basically unsettled at this point. Maybe not the yeah. starter, but the number two, the number three, who the satellite back's going to be, who's going to be the priority guy that's on the taxi that gets called up when there's an injury. Like maybe he's not the backup, but he would be the guy that immediately jumps into getting carries if the starter goes down. Like, so we don't know how that is. So from a principal standpoint, I'm almost like, hey, once you get past the top, let's just say 30 to 40 running backs in Dynasty, everyone else is the same. Yeah. Period. Like everyone else is really the same. Like you can tell yourself the story about how you like this guy over this guy, but I'm just looking at it from like a range of outcome standpoint. They all have to win a job. They all have to make the team. They all have to find their role. Roles are going to settle in different places. 
So you almost want to take as many shots as your roster will allow at this point, but then you want to start cutting it down and don't be too rigid on who those guys are. Like if I drafted a guy and he went in the sixth round of the NFL draft, but you know what? It looks like halfway through preseason, he's getting his ass beat out by an undrafted free agent. That's a roster spot I'm going to turn over. I'm not going to sit on my priors on that player and be like, well, I really liked his profile and he'll land somewhere else. Maybe he'll land on another team and get signed to their practice squad. Maybe he'll get elevated in week eight. That's not the kind of player that that's not the kind of roster spot I want to burn until week eight. I want to keep turning it over until I get there. If that guy resurfaces, I'll pick him up off waivers again. But I think a lot of people also miss that too. They get too stuck in, well, I like this guy's film or, you know, I like this guy's metrics. Honestly, with running backs, it, we'll know all the information like opening day. Well, and a lot of guys are afraid to drop a player because they don't want to look like an idiot. Like, you know, oh, I dropped Jamar Jefferson and he ended up, you know, doing this or whatever. You're like, fuck, I knew I shouldn't have done that. You know, so th- we get we get a lot of that, you know. Um, it's over overvaluing your own roster. And it, I was thinking about it while you were talking too. It's also that generally people will trade for picks, like and make picks with ceiling in mind. You know, it's like you all it's like you, you don't think about the floor which is oftentimes literally net zero like a guy will never see the the football field in an NFL game ever but we think of it in terms of like like Damian Pierce right now I like Damian Pierce I have no I mean I think he's like my running back four or something like this in this class now four or five whatever and it's like but I also understand I see that upside like Houston's kind of got some a pathway but his floor is like I don't know, like a complete role-playing nobody. You know, that's his floor. I'm not saying that that's what I think will happen, but at the same time, like, guys, when they – if you said that to somebody, they'd be like, dude, he's going to be way better than that. Have you seen this, that, and tell you all the good things about Damian Pierce? And I'm like, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. But you can't buy – so what I guess I'm getting at is when when it's – when Damian Pierce is available in the early second round and a player wants to trade for that pick to pick him – they're seeing stars in the sky. You know what I mean? And that pick that now has a, a, a more value than it ever did. Like if you were like, I'll give you the two, whatever, you know, for this player, you'd be like, now I'll give you the pick. That's going to be this guy you love. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll give up now. I'll give this up. So, you know, it's understanding the sort of mentality behind it. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm sure you and I are both guilty of this. It's not like we're, we're immune. We're aware of it, but we're not immune. Yeah, and it leads me to a question I wanted to ask you because rookie drafts are hot and heavy right now. Um, I'm sure you're doing multiple rookie drafts. What is your thoughts on, because it it creates this interesting conundrum where let's just say we're talking 30-man rosters, 12-team super flex 30-man rosters, maybe a little shallower, maybe a little bit deeper, just depends, but right around that range. So what's what's your cutoff for drafting different positions? Assuming you've kind of already put your tiers together and you said, okay, here's like my elite tier. Here's my tier of players I'm very confident with because of their draft capital or whatever. And then like, here's my everybody else. And the everybody else is usually like your late seconds, thirds, fourths, even guys you pick up off waivers. How do you look at the positions there though? Because I've developed this over years. I used to make so many mistakes in later rounds of drafts. And it wasn't that I picked the wrong players or I picked the right players. Because admittedly, when you're drafting like in the third or fourth round, you're just praying you get something for the player, whether that's you flip them for more later, you get like a start or two over their career. Like, man, if you can turn a fourth rounder into like two starts in four years or something like that, like that's a win. But I made a lot of mistakes on prior picks and it actually hamstrings me going forward. 
So I mean, what's your thoughts on kind of breaking down like positions and like, where's your cutoff at each position and how do you approach your roster construction? Cause I have some thoughts, but I want to hear you. Cause I know I'm very like linear thinking when it comes to this. Yeah, I think, um, for me, so I, 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 you can tell me if I'm answering the question right too, when I start talking here, but so for me, I always look first thing is elite running backs. I want to know and identify where they are. I feel like there's one Brees Hall. Maybe there's two potentially, you know, in Kenneth Walker, he's not an elite running back prospect in my, in my eyes. Doesn't mean he can't become an elite running back. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he's not an elite running back prospect. He's close. The, so there's one, two, and then it's like, okay, so that's my tier. That's it. After that, every other running back in this class to me is a question, um, is in a major question too, like a lot of questions. So, I have now two running backs worth drafting. Uh, then I'll look at um, you know the, the the wide receivers. I think it's really like you know that the the Drake London, Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson thing. You know Olave, Sky Moore, Pickens, Jamison Williams, Dotson, and then Watson. I guess you could put there, although I'm a little bit dubious. But let's just throw them in there. That's the draftable wide receivers. That's it. And like, there's not even a many core. So that, that's what I do. So that's the guys that I think are like, you know, there. And then everything else to me is a crapshoot in this draft. Like literally everything else is a crapshoot. So, you know, every year I do this and some years is deeper. This is a shallower year for this, you know, high level talent player. I mean, you know, when we did it a couple of years ago, it was, you know, Dobbins, Akers, Swift, JT, CEH had to be put in there. He's a first round pick. Um, Antonio Gibson, you know, and, and I think there was someone else too, but I'm forgetting. But AJ you know, Dillon, late second. Dillon, one. Dillon was right there. He's close, like, right? He's pretty close to Walker. That's my point. You know, and he was a second round pick. So there's, right? So you had all those players, and it was like, okay, then there was a drop off. And there were some pretty good players behind there too, but you get my point. Like, it's not how many, it's just trying to identify which ones are these guys or not. And, and, and going from there. And so then generally speaking, like I will oftentimes like thirds, generally you can find some value in third round picks. I know, but a lot of times if I can uh, uh, trade a third for a future second, I do it all the time, you know? So I'm usually always, especially early thirds where guys are like, ah, it's almost a second. And I like this guy. He fell, you know, they, they justify it. I push forward on a future second and I might've just gained, you know, 12, or 13 or more spots in a future draft. I might've gained only one or two, but I'm gaining something and I'm pushing that value forward. So uh, those are a lot of the strategies that I like to have. I will make third round picks. I mean, you know, Chase Claypool, Terry McLaurin, right? There's a lot of good players that can be, um, you know, found in third round uh, rookie drafts. But, um, but by and large, I'm generally willing to sell those for future seconds. I don't know if that answers your question. Well, it does. And you hit on a name that's a perfect example uh, with Terry McLaurin, because I, I posted this. This was very controversial, like two weeks before the draft. I said, I'm avoiding all third round receivers. Yes. And of course, I got a lot of replies with like, dude, I was all over Cooper Cup and Terry McLaurin and even Hunter Renfro went in the fourth. I, I, I smashed. I, I was in on these guys. And, you know, of course, you're going to hear the replies of the people that were on the ones that it hit. Michael Gallup was another third right. round pick. Like yes. you have guys, someone chimes in and he goes, man, I hit on cup Gallup and uh, McLaurin. I'm like, well, man, you're the, you're the greatest wide receiver scout I've ever seen. Right. You know, and then I, I chime off all the other third rounders in the last decade. And it's like 85% of them are, are dust. You know what I mean? So, but my, 
the reason I bring that up is like, let's say you get to a third round pick. You can't flip it for a second. You're looking at (laughs) it's a running back. And and that's what I was going to ask you is like, there's some third round receivers in this year's draft, like Jalen Tolbert, David Bell. But my thought, my, the reason I asked this question is I've been conflicted a couple times on the clock going, okay, do I pick a Hassan Haskins or Jerome Ford or one of these running backs that's a fourth round or a fifth round pick understanding that if I pick a fourth round running back I'm not drafting I'm not clicking draft hoping to get a future starter out of that if I get lucky and I get a guy that starts for like a year that's a massive win what I'm really shooting for is just to add a couple Tony Pollard's or Alexander Madison's you know where like they stay in a spot two or three Right. They stay in a spot for two or three years. They're the primary backup for three years. They maybe fill in a half a dozen spot starts over a three-year period. That's a win where I drafted them. Yeah. But then I look like, okay, man, there's a lot of receivers that historically have hit from the third round, like 20%-ish, right? And there's some good ones in there too. Yep. At the same time, let's say you draft like Say you draft Jalen Tolbert. I don't know if you even like Jalen Tolbert or not. I love Let's Jalen say you Tolbert. okay. <laughs> yeah. Say you he's draft Jalen Tolbert. He's a second round pick for me, so I would. That's an example of a name of a guy I would take there. But you know, but 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 go ahead. It could be him or Khalil Shakir or whatever, right? So it's the same difference. Well, and that's where you've done your player evaluation, and you. This is exactly where I was going with this. I've had to look at okay, who are the guys I'm willing to bet on and draft. The key part is I'm willing to hold because if they don't hit, if Jalen Tolbert does nothing, barely sees the field as a rookie, next year at this time, he is a roster clogger. He is a guy you will get rid of for the 312 next year just to make another pick, right? Like you you already know right away you want him off your roster because there's no real equity in holding a bunch of wide receiver sevens on your dynasty team. They're, They're a waste of space. You'd much rather have a running back or a backup quarterback during the season. Like I'd much rather have that using those roster spots. So that's the risk with the receiver. That's the risk with the tight end. We give up on tight ends way too quickly. Like if you're going to draft Greg Dulcich, you better be prepared to sit on him for four years. Yeah. You got to hold. If you're not, then don't even wait. If you're going to, within two years, you're going to say he sucks and I need to get rid of him because he hasn't done anything. Dude, he's a rookie tight end. You know what I mean? Like if you're not, so that's one of the other things is I'm t- I like this tight end class, yep. But there I don't want to draft four of them in one draft because no. I already know I'm going to be in a spot where next year I'm going, man, who wants these guys? You know, Jax, take take my Charlie Kohler off my hands. Give me a fourth. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Get right. them off my roster. Whereas a running back. So the thing with the running backs are. I think you get a quicker cycle time with running backs. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna know if like Jerome Ford is worth a shit within yep. a year. If he can't even make the active roster and he gets beat out by Dearness Johnson and Demetric Felton, then I'm much more apt to be like, okay, dude, I'm going to drop him. You know what I mean? Yep. But I'm with receivers. And then the other thing I wanted to ask you is what's your thoughts on the quarterbacks? Because I see yeah. people drafting like Sam Howell and I'm like, dude, I think in a year you're going to just be sitting on Sam Howell going, what the hell do I do with them? You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I'm almost just avoiding him for that reason. So I mean, how yeah. do you work through that stuff? Do you, is yeah. it player specific or position specific? Yeah, I think that's that's a great question. I mean, it's funny because like, you know, 
Kellen Mond, Sam Ellinger, like, you know, fill in the blanks of all these guys that have gone in the Dude, third. Dude, Kellen fourth. Mond is basically like, I just want to drop him now. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah. that's what that's where he was he was drafted with all these other Malik Willis, Ritter, Corral. They're all the same thing as Kellen Mond. I'm not saying they're the same player, don't get me wrong, but they're the same sort of value proposition going in. Like the, that's what the teams invested in him. Now I I tweeted it was pretty interesting. It was like, you know. The these quarterbacks got atrocious draft capital, yet they all landed where they were supposed to land in the first round. <laughs> I was like Detroit, you know, like uh, excuse me, I mean uh, Carolina, uh, Tennessee, you know, Atlanta. All teams that were like quarterback needy ended up with these guys. You know, I was like, oh look at that, they all kind of landed in a spot where you can actually conceive of them actually doing something. But that being said, I, I'm I'm definitely well. Look at I put them right after Christian Watson in my rankings. Right after, right around, so right when you start to get away from those those top tier players, you got to start considering a quarterback. But again, I think at the end of the day, I think these quarterbacks will likely push other players down. Maybe I don't know, and I, you know that. But I'm definitely not looking to overdraft any of these quarterbacks. I'll take shots late second, you know, here and there. Just take a couple shots here and there, especially. Ritter and Willis and Corral. I, I like their value right now. You're right, Howell. I mean, maybe in a late third, early fourth, I might here and there. I mean, but it's really one of those things where I don't expect anything. So why would I, you know, be excited to take that pick? It's it's kind of, it feels like a dead pick to me. I'd almost rather trade that pick to someone who sees Ritter on the board and is going to overpay. And again, I can I can send that pick for more than its value. Yeah, I think Ritter and Corral are perfect examples of what you said. Like they landed in spots where easily by week four you could see them both starting, whether they're yeah. ready or not. You could you could see the path to where they would play a good majority of next season. I, I do think it's they have a lot that they would have to overcome to keep their teams away from potentially replacing them next year. But I also have have justified okay, I'm I can take both of those two, Corral and Ritter. Before I get to the third round of my draft, if they're there, I'm willing to take them with any pick that's at the end of the second because yeah. because in the season, you know, let's say I know in your your podcast league, you know, I had Kyler Murray and it's a 14 team super flex. When Kyler went down, I didn't have Colt McCoy. And Correct. so like the the price to buy Colt McCoy, even though it's Colt McCoy, and he's been in the league for a decade and he's not very good. The price to buy him during the season from the team that just picked him up and they're like, yeah, I'll trade him to you. It's usually it starts at a second, but the minimum you have to pay is like a third. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you have to you have to pay a third to rent a player for a couple weeks at Correct. a backup quarterback spot. Yep. So I'm like, even if even if Ritter and Corral get in there, they start half the season. They're essentially like a glorified young backup quarterback. And that's yep. what I think they would get relegated to if their team were to draft another player. But I think they would show that they're good enough to at least hang around as a backup. So I figure a third is a fair price, and you have a little bit of upside built in. You still have the five percent like Davis Mills outcome that's built into both of their profiles. Yes. So you can justify paying the late second. I think Willis is a little bit of a different proposition because I almost think he would be the one guy that I would be willing to invest a little bit more in because I think the team is going to be in a position to maybe give him a little bit of a longer leash to get a shot. You know, I don't yeah. think they're going to be looking in the draft next year unless they just completely go south. So I think they may give him until like 2023 to maybe prove that he could be their future. It's no guarantee because he's a third round pick, 
Um, yeah, and, and they should be they should be good, and he may not play, and he you know right, which is also not good, but it also kind of insulates his value. So it I'm does. with you, like Malik Willis, you know, if he's just on the team and just you know in uniform with the clipboard and the headset, and you know the, the, there's good news and good you know beat reports and stuff like that going into next year, he could be worth a second again. So you know, yeah, that there's nothing uh, there that that could really tank his value in year one. Unless like Tannehill got hurt and then he came in and was awful, which, okay, well, that's a real outlier situation. I don't think Tannehill is going to get benched from Malik Willis this year at all. I agree with you. So, but the other two do have a a path to getting on the field. I just don't want to overweight them because of their opportunity. That's what I don't want to do. Like, you you know what I mean? It's like, we didn't do that with Kellen Mond, even though he was like behind, you know, a player that like in cousins that like could have signed somewhere else. Like there was, you know, cousins is always like, Oh, they're going to trade them. And you know, so we didn't tell that story. Why? Because there are five other quarterbacks who went earlier. So he was the other guy. Davis Mills even was that guy. Like, and it turned out he was pretty good. And I think Davis Mills, if he were in this class, might have gone ahead of all these guys. Like, people really liked Davis Mills last year. So, you know, it's very interesting. I, I mean, I think uh, there was a story that uh, Bill Belichick was going to draft Davis Mills in like the second if he didn't get Mac Jones. So, like, he had he was he might have gotten some some uh, some draft capital and he did turn out. And so Ritter and Corral might turn out. There's no doubt. So I think they're definitely worth a shot, but even in, in Carolina, you could see them make a move for either Baker Mayfield or Jimmy G or honestly, anybody the fuck else, right? Like they're not like, Oh, we got Corral. We're good. (laughs) You know, like that's not how they're moving. Um, so they, they could, they could obliterate him as well. And he could just become, like you said, Colt McCoy, right? Well, and it's interesting. You mentioned, um, Kellen Mond, because if you remember Cousins um, missed time last year because of the vaccination stuff, right? And so everyone was like excited that it, it might be Kellen Mond. And then it's like, well, the whole time he was never even the backup, you know, right. like it was Sean Mannion instead. So like, there's not even a guarantee that Ritter and Corral cement themselves as like the next man up. Right. Yeah. You know, someone asked me today about Sam Howell. And I said, well, why are you drafting Sam Howell in the second round of draft? Because I've seen him go like Jeez. mid to late second. And Someone said, well, he's only having to beat out Carson Wentz, who's had an injury history and he's not very good. And I go, you know, not true. <laughs> I bet I bet Rivera plays Heineke if Wentz gets hurt. He's not Agreed. just going to give it to Sam Howe in week four. You know what I mean? Like exactly. Heineke would have to get in and get hurt. And I'm like, I, I would bet like they probably drafted Sam Howe with. Holy shit, we do not want this guy on the field next year. You know what I mean? Right. Like yes. we'll do anything we can to avoid putting him in. Whereas people are drafting him like, oh, well, he's the handcuff. And if he gets in, maybe he'll he'll steal the starting job and never get it back. And I'm like, I, Wentz could go down in the you know the first month of the season. I, I think they just go to Heineke. And then he he's going to frustrate you all year because he's playing ahead of your boy Howe. So yes. it's just uh, – it's, it's, it's interesting because, like you said, they all went to good spots. Like I could tell myself – I can squint and tell myself a story about how all these guys get a chance and they look better than what the draft capital said. Yep. But at the same time, I feel like we're going to – a lot of these quarterbacks are going to end up being just roster cloggers. And yeah. we're going to end up going, man, I wish I could have that second round back. Or it's, I mean, what, what's your cut line on Malik Willis? I think he's the one where I think we would agree that there's a little bit of a longer path. And you made a great point that he doesn't need to end up being good. But if we give him like 18 months of a ramp to get some hype – you may be, he's the one you could make a profit on because he's kind of like this 
secret cheat code that no one knows if it's going to work or not. That's right. But no one will really see whether it's going to work or not. So maybe you'll be able to sell on that. What's your cut line to gamble on him? Like, would you spend like the 112 or is that still too early? That's too early for me. I think, well, look, I don't know. I like Christian Watson or, um, or Sky Moore, George Pickens. Is he ahead of those guys? Or no, all of those no, no, guys Sky, ahead of him? Yeah, Sky Moore and George Pickens definitely ahead. Sky okay. Moore, I've got Sky Moore. I'm, I'm a big Sky Moore fan. I, I like Sky Moore quite a bit. Um, so yeah, he's he's in a he's in a tier for me. The tier of Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, George Pickens, Sky Moore, and maybe Dotson. Dot, Dotson's the last guy there, but I I think he's in that tier for for me. That's a tier, and so I wouldn't I would really have a hard time picking Willis ahead of any of those guys just because I think it's going to be a he's going to be a backup quarterback this year. That's that's the that's what he is. I mean, I, I don't know that any of these guys ever get a starting position in this league. I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, is, is ever, is ever um, Desmond Ritter going to be more valuable than Jimmy G like, you know, in the, in the next two years? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I just don't know. So, I mean, I think that's too, too much of a, you know, uh, of a gamble. I mean, Jimmy G was a second round prospect, right? You know what I mean? Like they're, they have more draft capital, more, more success in the league. Like, these guys are going to have to get in and and play. They're going to have to do what Dak did, right? Like just play awesome. They're going to have to be awesome. Like that's how they're going to play themselves onto the field. Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, these late round picks just, you know, or get lucky and then smash Tom Brady, right? Think about all the successful late round quarterback picks. They, they don't get a long leash. They don't get to come in and suck. That's not an option. They don't get to do Daniel Jones, Josh Allen. That's not in their outcomes. They don't get that. They're not going to get two years of Josh Allen or two years of Daniel Jones production. They won't get two weeks. You feel me? Yeah, I mean, and you mentioned two guys between Dak and Tom Brady that essentially had a lucky break with an injury and they seized it and never gave it back. Yeah. And if they would have gone in and had two bad games after that injury, we might have never seen their career take off like it did. And so hundred percent. Yeah. They've like, been looking for somebody else. Like, Hey, we need to find a fucking quarterback. Exactly. Exactly. Do, yeah. do, would you take, would you take Willis over like uh Rashad white and James cook? I, I currently have him behind that group. So I have him as my, my 16th player, um, okay. you know, right behind, uh, you know, the Rashad white, Damian Pierce, James cook, Christian Watson. So that's where I have that. So right around there, mid second, I'm willing to, but here's the thing. He's probably gone. Yeah. So I was going to say, like, I, I think we're probably seeing the same thing where someone's taking him in the late first or right in the beginning of the second. And it's like, yeah, I, I clearly am with you. I have those, those like 15, 16 players ahead of him. And I'm just not going to touch him until I just happen to have a pick maybe right afterwards. And if he's there, I'll snag a couple shares, but yes, um, I, I love how you said Jimmy Garoppolo because so I have three Devi leagues that already had Matt Corral. So you can, you can bet I was probably, you know, I was, I was disappointed to see where he landed. You know what I mean? He didn't hold that like, you know, top 24 quarterback value that I thought he was going to hold if he got first round capital, but I'm going, okay, how can I take advantage of the fact that these are Devi depleted leagues? So everyone already knows what his value is now. It's already been adjusted, but how can I go out and get creative and kind of hedge myself on the losses that I know I've already taken on Corral's value. And I didn't lose anything because I've had him for two years. You know what I mean? So I, it right. just kind of lost a – it really is like a you know a relationship that like strung you along for the whole time. And then it's like, okay, it's not worth anything anymore. So that's kind of what I feel like with Corral. But I'm going, how can I be creative? Because I think I'm going to get re- rejected if I try to send him for anything close to a starter. You know what I mean? Like people are just going to go, no, nah, I'm good. 
But then I go, Jimmy G and Baker Mayfield, like, would I swap yes. Corral or Ritter for one of those guys? And yeah. maybe I just, maybe I, maybe I get like a fourth or a third thrown in, or I swap a second or a third. And I'm like, I look at Baker and Jimmy G and I think we know what they are, but I'm almost sitting there going, they're going to get another shot before Corral or Ritter, you know? And I, I think they're going to get as much of a leash as those guys too. So if I can add, you know, a, a third with Corral to get Jimmy G and a late second or something like that. Like I'm doing that deal all day and I'm really not any worse for the wear. You know what I mean? Yeah. I actually have a uh, Corral and Baker Mayfield back to back in my dynasty ranking. So I'm with you. It's like, but I have Jimmy G ahead. I think he does get another shot. I think he's been, for sure. he's a, he's a by, by low. I mean, Jesus, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, but you know, you look at like the, that, that group of quarterback, it, you know, I even have Malik Willis, you know, behind, I mean, what would you rather have, Davis Mills or Malik Willis in a Superflex? It's like Davis Mills, right? I mean, I no. I saw I I saw a poll that was Davis Mills versus uh, Malik Willis, and I yeah. think I voted Malik Willis just because of what you said earlier. I I kind of just feel with Malik Willis as long as he just stays like hidden in the basement for eighteen months, that there's going to be some intrigue about what he could be. Yeah. So as long as he can avoid the Jordan Love preseason of like, dude, he can't hit the broadside of a barn. He looks terrible. Like as long as he can avoid that stuff, I, I actually think he may end up being a bust, but I think his value will slowly go up like 30% between now and like the beginning of the 23 season. So call it like 15, 16 months, assuming Tennessee doesn't suck, draft another quarterback next year. I think going into 2023, Tannehill is going to be on his last legs, assuming something crazy doesn't happen. And Willis is going to have like a year and a half under his belt in the system. I think there's going to be a little bit of intrigue of like, dude, he's the backup to get. Right. This is his Jalen Hurts year. If he gets in halfway through and he has eight starts, the dynasty community will fall in love with like, holy shit, look at the fantasy points this guy's scoring. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's worth holding, which is why I think the, the idea of taking him with a mid to early second rounder is not completely unfathomable i agree it's it's really close that's why willis is that one wild card but like let me ask you this is a this is a great one who would you rather have in dynasty Superflex 12 teams so you know there's you know all the quarterbacks are utilized desmond ritter or marcus mariota wow <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> by the way i have I, them back to back so that's why it's a tough question i love having I, them back to back because i'm like oh my god I think you still have to roll with Ritter because I, I hope I hope that I'm not the way I build my teams typically. I hope that By I'm not way, starting. I have him once. I have him one spot ahead of Mariota, so I'm with you. But it's like it's a question, right? It's not that simple. I mean, yeah. Like if I look at my team and it's a 16 team super flex, and I'm like, damn, somehow Mariota is my QB two. You know, like. I'm not trading him for Ritter. I'm going to try exactly. to ride him out for four starts and then be like, okay, he's pretty clearly terrible. Can I swap him for Ritter like a week before he gets benched? You know, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. But <laughs> right. that that's an, that's a good one. Cause I think it, you don't, I would say I want Ritter. I would want Corral because I don't want to be in a position where I'm using Mariota to begin with, but you know, gun to my head, I'm going to be like, dude, I'll take the guy I know is going to start week one, but it, I, that's a tough one. I, it's just it's, it's hard, hard to right? rate those guys. Yes, like 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 Jared Goff or Mariota. I think I like Jared Goff more. I, I like Goff. You yeah. do? 
though I hate golf, but I like yeah. golf in terms yeah. of like, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure everything Detroit's done is they're kind of just going to sacrifice him this year and yes. it's sink or swim for his career. But you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he starts every game and Bingo. he's That's why quarterback he's more 25 or something like yes. that. So, yes. Yep. I agree. I agree. It's like, you know, if you can, cause this is what happens. Like I'm, uh, you know, ho- hopefully this will, I'm in a startup right now and people are going to undervalue Tom Brady again. And they're going to draft some guys who might only play one more season of, of NFL football ever in their life ahead of him. And I'm going to take him and he's going to be the quarterback seven. You know, I can't wait to draft him. I can't wait to take Tom Brady in a super flex startup right now. I'm going to do it. And it's like, like be- Carson Wentz ahead of him. Cause he's quote unquote younger. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That type of thing. Exactly. Like, you know, there's, I mean, heck Justin Fields, I don't, I, I love Justin Fields, but he is set up to fail. And if he fails, like they might pull him and then I don't know what's going to happen. Right. Like, like I get like, he's more valuable than Tom Brady, uh, I guess. I mean, but is he like, is he, is he going to score more fantasy points than Tom Brady over the next two years? Probably not. Even if Brady retires after this year, still probably not. But like, so it's like, okay, well, I want the guy that's going to score more points this year. And then after that, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, we've seen these quarterbacks just go to nothing, you know, which is why I'm talking about Goff and Mariota. And 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 these this, this quarterback class is Ritter, Corral, even Pickett to some degree. I think Pickett's going to get some opportunity. But, like, are we sure he's any better than Trubisky is right now at all? No. No, and right. I think you're right. The, the only difference between Pickett and the others is he's probably going to get a longer leash. He's going to get five yes. chances to fail before he gets given up on. And yes, you know you're going to bank on that. But you mentioned Justin Fields. I mean, we had this debate on the the draft stream the other night, and it's like we're almost at a point where, given everything we know right now, I mean, stuff can still happen between now and the start of the season. But given everything we have in front of us right now, I don't think it's crazy to take. Jalen Hurts right now over Justin Fields. Right. And like, I'm pretty sure Jalen Hurts, if he plays, you know, 80% of the games is going to be a top 10 quarterback. And yep. I'm almost comfortable enough to say, like, his one-year bet might be a different type of risk than Justin Fields. But I think one if you're just looking at both of them going like, okay, there's a decent amount of risk on the back end of both of their next seasons, I'm pretty sure I'll take Jalen Hurts to smash Justin Fields next year. And then... You know, one thing someone asked me the other day is like, isn't it inevitable that Jalen Hurts is going to fail? And I go, well, if I had to bet, like if you, if I had to give you odds, you'd probably take the Jalen Hurts will fail before he becomes an NFL Hall of Famer, right? You'd probably bet that side first. But I go like, there's a, there's a range of outcomes right now that Jalen Hurts could take this leap next year and he's Lamar Jackson, you know, and that's in the range of outcomes. And I'm going like, I'm not sure it's there for Justin Fields. Even if he plays like even if Jalen Hurts plays the same as he did last year, and even if Philadelphia is like that's not for us, he's going to be for like Detroit. Like Detroit will be like right. we'll take him, you know, so, or whomever, you know, I'm making this shit up. You know, Atlanta would be like, oh, Hurts is available, let's get his ass. You know what I mean? Like he's still good enough where he's not going to be like, oh, there he goes, not in the league. Whereas some of these younger players like Fields and whatever, like you know, look Trey Lance. We don't have any idea. It's pure projection. And I have them higher than I probably should. But I, I said it once on the pod before recently. I was like, why are we sure that he's going to be good? Like everybody you talk to is like, nope, definitely. It's like, okay, <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm really uncomfortable 
drafting Lance, Lawrence, Fields, any of those guys early in a, in a super flex draft. I'm just out. I'm not, I'm not looking to spend a huge premium pick because let's put it this way. Have you seen any of those players traded for that value? I have not. I have not. I've seen them drafted with that value, but not traded for that value. The one deal, the deals that I've seen, because I, I agree with you. I think that where they're priced right now, last year I was all about getting them at the rookie draft cost, and it, it looked like it was a mistake. You know, I took some Fields and Lance and Lawrence over Chase and Najee, like, and I, I regret that. But I don't think it was a terrible process because I don't either. You knew if if you hit on a guy like Lance and he took off. He was a top he's a first, five asset. He's a first round startup pick yep. overnight. You know what I mean? Like yep. you knew the upside and it wasn't that far away from seeing it happen. Now right. I've shifted. I'm still in on those guys, especially Lance. And I think Lance has benefited by the same thing that'll benefit with Malik Willis. He's benefited by not playing. You know yep. what I mean? There's still like this mystery to him that a lot of the truthers that we're talking about his upside haven't given up yet because they haven't seen failure. That's right. Whereas you've seen a degree of failure from the other guys. Yep. Uh, but now the deals I've seen this year with Lance or Fields or Lawrence have been one of two things. They have been, uh, oh shit, I drafted Lawrence and Fields in my startup last year. I probably have the 101 because th- that was at cost. That was like the worst thing you could have done. Yes. You know, I had a startup. I was in a startup where a guy took. Um, Shout out to you your know, boy Jordan McNamara for having doubts about uh, yes. Trevor Lawrence as the clear 1.01. And well, he was he was right. Dude, you had people taking Lawrence in the first round of the startup and then trading back in and taking like Justin Fields at the end of the first. You know what I mean? Like that's how they built the core of their team. Yes. And I'm like, you probably earned the 101 unless you traded your first to get that, you know, that second first round startup pick. What I've seen though is if I have a roster like that, I go one of two ways. I go, oh shit, I'm panicking on Fields. What can I add to him to get like Joe Burrow or Kyler Murray yeah. or, you know, what can I go add to go up? Yes. Or, I want out. What will you give me on top to pivot to Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr, Matt Stafford, or someone where like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get at least two or three more years out of, but I'm out of this like fields risk business. Cause I think we agree with these second year guys, especially Lawrence, Zach Wilson and fields. If they have another season, like they did last year, their values in the toilet, they become like they're on the Daniel Jones track. We're like, I'm not sure this guy's going to start past year three. You know what I mean? So yeah, you want to get out now, either going up or going down. But I don't think you just want to hold and say, "Well, the guy's going to hit." You know what I mean? I think you're you're kind of leaving some money on the table if you do that. I executed a trade last year, very similar. I I sold on. Uh, I, I want to look it up too because I I'm trying to remember what the hell it was. It was pretty cool. But I I, I sold on um, uh, Justin Fields and pivoted towards Kirk Cousins just because I was like he's a sure thing. And let me see if I got the, Oh yeah, this was a great one, man. Oh man. This is a blockbuster. This is just a bunch of stuff. I traded like Juju Smith, Schuster, Zach Moss, Amir Smith, Marset, Terrace Marshall, Justin Fields, a 22 first and 22 second. That's a lot of stuff, but I got back like Amari Cooper, Kirk cousins, Christian McCaffrey. You know what I mean? It was just like, I just sent a bunch of stuff with Justin Fields to replace him with Kirk Cousins, which I felt like I just felt fine. I was fine with that. I was like, you know, I'm just going to make my team better. Plus, I don't know if I'm even losing with Fields to, to Cousins. I know I'm losing upside. I know that if Fields hits, whom I love, but 
if he fails then it's just literally a it's a crap out it's a fucking zoinks whereas cousins is just cousins he's just a he's the qb 13 that's what he is like he's just gonna be the qb 13 again this year right yeah i think that's the because I've, I've found it harder to go from like Fields or Lance or Lawrence to get up into that top, like top six or seven guys. Like the price that people want are like, hey, I want two firsts on top. And I'm like, well, if you're wanting, if you're wanting two firsts or like two core starters on top, then I'll, I'll continue to roll the dice on the guy that I have. You know what I mean? Right. But I like your deal. I mean, I traded Fields and the 111 yeah. and the 209 this year yeah. for Cousins and a 23 first. And my justification right. was... I can't I get that. anything close to a 23 first for the 111. So I'm getting out of kind of a, you know, a block class and I'm basically getting the 23 first, which I can use to spend later. And I just pivot from fields to cousins. Yep. If field I smashes, I'm probably going to lose that deal, but yes. like yours, you know, you're, yes. you're kind of hedging your risk. And, and let me yes. ask you this. If fields or Lance or Lawrence or Zach Wilson goes out and, and crushes this year. Yeah. Would that be signal enough for you to go? Okay. The, the upside hit like yes. could you buy back in next year to get some more shares back in once you kind of see it like you're willing to pay the piper next year if you really like the player again yeah and i think that's why zach wilson for me is actually a, a bit of a buy right now or, yeah. or at least I'd, I'd rather i mean he sometimes goes a bit early too so you know again I, I just don't think they're worth that premium pick or buying way up but again and and you know i think you're buying at their ceiling when you draft them in the you know, the, the one, two turn, you know, right. Like it's like Dak Prescott. Then you're like, push the button for fucking fields or something. You're like, Whoa, dude, that's so early. And, and I get it. You know, it's hard to, to find quarterbacks, but I'd almost rather, you know, just have a dope team and then pick cousins and Wentz and Mariota and whatever, and just figure out quarterback as I go. I mean, you know, golf and all these shit bags as I call them, but they're, they're, they're going to give you at least like, I'm pretty sure Kirk cousins is going to outscore Justin Fields this year. I mean, so okay, oh, that's sure. one year. That's one year. Well, wh- when is it going to change? You just paid the, the 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 you know a second round startup pick for him. You know, like you, you know the opportunity cost was like over like AJ Brown or something. You know what I mean? It's like whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like I, that's a that's an expensive pick to spend on that guy when you could have just spent like a fifth round or whatever on Kirk Cousins. And I, yeah, I just don't. I for me, it doesn't make any sense. You know. Well, and I think part of it is, yeah, if you took those guys in a startup last year, you, you, it was a bad pick. But yeah. I think if you're if you're now sitting here today with a roster of you know either one of those guys or multiples, I do think you have to do what we we're talking about. You kind of have to pick a direction. You either have to try yeah. to aggressively go up, or you have to try to get out. And it's not because you're trying to get out because you don't believe in this specific player. You might really like Justin Fields. You might really like Trey Lance. But I think it's fair to say, like, this is kind of the the breaking point where it can go either way. And I want to try to make a bet before the breaking point hits. Because once the breaking yeah. point hits, what you gained or what you lost is going to be finite. You know what I mean? Yes. You're not going to be able to wait until the floor falls out of Justin Fields and then go, hey, who wants him? You know? Right. And, I, and I think the other thing people don't think about is it's not just these quarterbacks. It's any player right now that you think is kind of at this, like, value cliff or where this is a big year for their development or like a lot of these second year receivers, you know, guys like Bateman guys like Elijah Moore, like this is a big year for them, whether they're going to kind of level off and be seen as, Hey, they're stable wide receiver twos. I can count on them year to year, or I'm not really sure about them. Cause I think we're coming up on a 23 class where 
previous years, you've been kind of been able to get out of decent players that maybe you're not as high on as others. I don't think that's going to happen next year. Right. I think you're going to have a very limited number of players as the calendar turns next year to like February. It's going to be like, um, are any 23 firsts available for my players? No, <laughs> no, no yeah, none. they're not 23 seconds, maybe. But right. I don't think you're going to see that liquidation to where you're going to be able to kind of get out of players that you want to sell high on or you want to get out on. I just think the liquidity of people moving picks next year is going to be lower because they want to see what happens with the 23 class. So it's yeah. just, you got to look at your roster and you got to be like, man, my whole roster could fall off a cliff either because they're aging or because they are, you know, this is a big year for their development. We know that if Rashad Bateman misses eight games this year and his wide receiver 50, People are going to be going up. He's a face planner. I'm out. I'm done. Yep. You know what I mean? Get rid of him. He's never going to be more than a wide receiver three. He's the new like McColl Hardman. Like just to get him off my roster. Or he could smash and you're like, damn, dude, this guy's a top 12 dynasty receiver. Like the range of outcomes is massive. You're right in that midpoint right now. So how do you treat it? I, I mean, but that's the thing. Like right now, Rashad Bateman, Marquise Brown, these guys are, are, are seeing an artificial spike in their value. It's a great time to sell because – you know, you're playing into the the market going way up where, yeah, it could go up a little bit more. I'll give you that. I mean, you know, Rashad Bateman is probably, what, in the top 20, 23 uh, dynasty receivers easy right now. Like right now is value. Uh, before the trade, he was probably, you know, top 30, 35, right? So he's moved up probably 10 spots in sort of the, the minds of where people have him. And so if you can sell there, like, what do you expect? He's going to be a top five? Probably not, you know? So he probably is leveling out about where he is anyway. So, you know, you're sort of selling at close to the ceiling. Go right ahead. You know, so that's, uh, again, you got to find the trade partner too. It's not always like just sell player, but it's like consider selling player, you know, include player in, I always like to do it. Like I just did, uh, I mentioned the trade I just made, like put a bunch of shit on both sides, you know what I mean? And, and someone will be like, I'm getting this, that, and the other. Like, people like to open presents at Christmas time. You know what I mean? It's like, ooh, I got this, that, and the other. I'm giving up that, but that's okay. Look what I'm getting. You know, and when you have Bateman and this and that, and, uh, you know, so I always try and put things together, just like you did even with Fields. You're like, Fields 111, 209. Someone's like, that's good, man. I oh, it's fine. I just have to give up cousins. Blah, blah, blah. They talk themselves into it. And meanwhile, you're sitting there with a very, very valuable 23 first asset. That's only going to increase in value. And you could probably, whoever they drafted at the 111, the 209, you could sell that pick, just the 23 first for all that shit back. You know? Yeah. I mean, and uh, so I'll, this is asking you my, some advice on what you would do. Cause actually my highest rostered receiver in dynasty is Rashad Bateman. Mm. And so I clearly have already identified, you know, we've talked some portfolio strategy and stuff. I'm big on, you know, kind of managing that as a whole. So I have a lot of Bateman. And I agree. This is the window like Hollywood leaves. He's kind of gotten a bit, little bit of an artificial market spike. Just, you know, it's the opposite of the vacated targets. It's like, oh, a guy left. So, you yeah. know, this guy just has to get better. Um, so what would be your strategy on? Because I, I, I've tried to, even before the draft, before Hollywood got traded, I've been trying to spam, you know, try to get a 23 first in a couple leagues for hot for Bateman just to get out, you know, like yeah. I'm fine taking it because it's going to be hard to get that in a lot of leagues. But if I can find one or two where yep. I can do it, then I'll take it and I'll just kind of, you know, hedge my bets in the other leagues. But I haven't been able to do that. I haven't been able to get one deal for a 23 first, which I think is smart for the same reason I said before we start right when we started the show, like it doesn't make sense to give that up for a, 
a coin flip with Bateman if I'm holding my 23 first. Like that's, that's not right. what I'm trying to get for. But it. it's smart to try and sell him for that. I, I, I that's right. I, I think you're playing it right, right? So one of the players is very similar to Bateman, your Bateman shares is my Gabriel Davis. Now the one difference is my Gabriel Davis shares were third round picks, fourth round picks, not second round picks or borderline one, two picks. So ultimately like I can kind of free roll with him a little bit. Um, I, I believed in the player. I was really stunned that they brought in Emmanuel Sanders last year. I was really stunned that he played over, uh, Gabe Davis last year. And it looks like they were probably wrong. Um, but whatever, like Emmanuel Sanders was good. So whatever, but now we see the playoff game. Now we see them clear the decks for Gabe Davis. Now, we, now his value, like, I don't know, until he, you know, really elevates to a point where he's the top 24 wide receiver, I'm probably still going to hold because now, you know, but if I could get a 23 first for Gabe Davis, sure, I'd do that, right? But so I'm with you. Like, you know, if the right deal were to come along, great. But it's hard to to sell these players sometimes when you're just like kind of free rolling. Uh, depending as opposed to like these fields, uh, Lawrence and Lance picks where you invested something, you don't want to have a full, you know, go to zero value moment. You know, you want to try and transition some of that value and move it into something else as you did 23 first and Kirk Cousins. You just move the value. Hey, I don't want to get burned. Whereas you can't get burned with a former third round. Now you could say you did lose an opportunity to sell them. Like I said it, you know, we talked about it. Uh, last uh, before the draft, me and Michael B. Duncan about players who could be eviscerated. And one of them was Michael Carter was absolutely eviscerated. We, we were trying to point this out, like sell Michael Carter, not because Michael Carter sucks. Michael Carter was great, but there was a possibility that what happened was going to happen. Same thing with Devin Singletary. Now, I don't think he was as eviscerated, but he was certainly devalued big time. And I thought another one could have been Gabe Davis. If they'd just gone out and taken Traylon or some shit, you know, in the late first, it would have been problems for for Gabe Davis. Now they ended up taking, you know, a player a bit later in Khalil Shakir, who I like, but he's not just going to automatically play over Gabe Davis. As a matter of fact, it's very unlikely that he sees the field ahead of Gabe Davis. So now Gabe Davis is the number two wide receiver target on a team that throws more passes to the wide receiver than any other team in the NFL. So that's a, that's a, that's an asset that I see, uh, you know, opportunity and ceiling. So I don't necessarily want to sell them just because I've profited. I want to sell them because I think that the artificial value spike is more than, you know, even, or it's close to, even if he hits his ceiling, like if someone's willing to pay me at his ceiling, well, of course I should sell. Right, because it's still a possibility he won't. That's the kind of the point with Bateman is I think he's approaching his value ceiling, but hasn't actually done anything yet. Well, and that's kind of what I was going to say. Like, what would be your approach with? Because I did the same thing with Ayuk when the Debo rumors came out. I had just as much Ayuk as Bateman, and I've kind of already assumed I can't get the twenty-three first because I've tried. You know, I've tried for the last couple months to try to, to cash out on those specific players. It's just hard to make those types of trades now with the, a receiver for a 23 first to specifically because there's a lot of receivers. So what I did is I took a couple shares of Ayuk and I looked at the ones where I felt that I had like either excess at receiver or just a lot of excess assets to work with where I'm like, okay, my team's pretty good. I'm a playoff contender, but there's a law of diminishing returns. Like you can only have so many assets in a league where you can only start like 11 players. Like just cause you're 20 deep means nothing. It, it might help. It might not, but ultimately it's the best 10 or 11 or 12 players in a given season with some depth. So I actually took a couple IUK shares and I sold them for a 24 first and a 23 second. 
And I'm just like, okay, I can't get the 23 first, but I'm going to take the 24 first and maybe bank that I'm playing a little bit of a, a zigzag. Because I know everyone's going for the 23s. One of the, the ways to get around going for the 23s is start hoarding the 24s. And then yes. maybe you have the same leverage in the 24 class. My question with Bateman is now that we've seen this even bigger value spike for Bateman, do you think that makes sense to trade? And that's kind of asking your strategy because I can't get the 23s. I'm okay mm. not taking a 24 first. Do you think it makes sense to try to get maybe a Traylon Burks for Bateman or, you know you know what I mean? Like maybe yeah. hit the reset button on one extra year by getting one of the rookies this year that I think falls in the same tier. You think you can get those deals done? I've tried, but on the clock, people are like, dude, I want the brand new toy. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, the brand I, new toy. That's I the hard part. Bateman. I know him. I, you know, I probably have him in a couple other leagues. Like, do you think that's a viable strategy though, is to just before my draft trade Bateman for one Oh nine and be like, I'm going to get sky more and kind of look at it as a, um, a, a parallel pivot or would you be trying something different? Yeah, I would I don't know that I love that because for me it's like I'm just hoping Sky Moore turns into Bateman, you know? Like right? I mean, you know, I don't know. It's a it's a huge gamble. I think Bateman at least has secured his value and his place in the league. I think I mean, you would think, you know, I think there's a more of a secure feeling I have while rostering Bateman than I do with any of these sort of these other guys. I really do. I don't know about you. Like, well, let me ask you. I mean, you know, you're in a startup. Would you take Bateman or Sky Moore? I'd probably take Bateman, but I think they'd probably go within a round of each other because I think yeah. they're they're probably seen in the same tier. But I do think there's bias with the guy that you've already seen just not be uh, – because really, really what you just referenced is most people would take Bateman because they – there's we operate – as people, we operate out of fear in a lot of things, right? Yeah. And we've just flat out seen Bateman like make some plays in the NFL. You know, like we've seen it. We, but Sky Moore could go out in week one and make a couple plays, and you're like, dude, he's in the same value tier as Bateman. Like it would take, it would just be very minimal what it would take. What would be your cut line? If I, mean, I have X Bateman, you, like, hey, you could trade him. Line? You could trade him for Gabriel Davis plus, and probably get as you good could. a player. You know, I mean, dude. it's it's in that it's in that realm though. Like, you know, whether it's you know, there the, you can move around in that in that in that pocket where everybody else is. You know, the Elijah Moores, the Jerry Judys, the Mike Williams. You know. Clay, Claypool, Gallup, you know, I, I don't know, maybe it's starting to get a little too far down, but you know my point, like, you know, whether you go up a little bit or down a little bit, you know, do you want to get a little bit or add a little bit to get there? But I think it's a, it's one of those where I usually then will take a Bateman and add them to a bigger trade, you know, like, um, you know, you are always saying if I can get from Fields to Kyler or whatever, I'm just making it up, right? Maybe it's a, a Bateman plus this plus another thing, a 23 second gets you to you know, one of these, these quarterbacks, you know what I'm saying? Like, like a Bateman a plus fields gets you like Dak and Hunter Renfro or something like something that. Like where that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, not that specific maybe, but yes, exactly. Where you, know, you just sort of throw Bateman in, you know, it's like a, you sell a bunch of guys that you're selling like that are, that are, you know, like Chubb, maybe I'm just, I'm not saying you're selling Chubb, but maybe you are right. You got, you know, Chubb and uh, you know, they still have this name recognition and, you know, I like to put three or four of those guys that I'm not necessarily feeling, you know, you could be selling Elijah Mitchell, um, you know, because, hey, who knows what happens in that backfield. But yet Elijah Mitchell has some pretty good brand equity right now. So it's like Bateman, Elijah Mitchell, Chubb, and you get back like Saquon in a 24 first or something. You're like, I don't know if I, you know, whatever. I'm just making shit up here. But, you know, where you try and move yourself around the board a little bit, you know, you get an Eckler, 
and Renfro and a 24 first. You know what I'm saying? Where you make a bigger trade where it behooves your team. Uh, that's the type of thing I would try and do with Bateman, where his value is realized as a piece in a trade, but few people are willing to just straight up give you the 23 first one for one. So last question, then we'll uh, kind of take our intermission for the um, uh, the game theory show and uh, move it yeah. over to Dynasty and chill. You have excess Gabriel Davis. I mean, I know you said you want a package, but let's say you've tried to propose some packages. Like, do you actually go through and say, okay, I my, it's my mission to try to move a Gabriel Davis chair to before something could happen? Like, is that something yeah. you go through and you cognizantly say, I'm going to move a share or two before we get to the season just to hedge my bets and lock in a little profit? Or is it, I'm all in, I'm already in at such a low cost, like I'm just going to let it all ride on the next hand? Certainly I did with Gabriel Davis, the the latter. I did hold. But like I'll give you an example of a player I didn't. It's like Fryermuth. I got a lot of Fryermuth last year and it paid off. And, and in a lot of situations, I was like, you know what? I like where his value is right now. He's like a top eight, top, basically top eight tight end in Dynasty. You know, I like that value. I don't know that he remains there. He might. He could very well remain there. I don't see a path where he's a top four dynasty tight end. So I think that's a ceiling sell. I like to sell when we're, we're at the perceived ceiling, maybe, or at least close to. That's what the idea with Bateman. So I did that with with Fryermuth, where I just was like, you know, I'm just going to you know, put him in a few trades because I think people see him and like, Ooh, Fryermuth, you know, it's like, like that's really the, the, the thing I'm trying to elicit with a trade when I'm doing it is like, you need to give up something good. So like, if you give up Fryermuth and Bateman and you know, the one Oh eight, you can get a really good player coming back. Cause someone's like, fuck yeah, look at that. I get the pick. I get, the thing, boom. I get a tight end and probably he could be the best tight end, you know, right. People get excited for that shit. So that's kind of the way I've, I've looked to move these players, but with Gabriel Davis, we'll end on me saying Gabriel Davis stays in this house. Love him. I love him too much, man. I can't get rid of Gabriel Davis. It is a little bit of a free roll I have with him, but also I felt like there was Probably the best time to have sold, and I mentioned this on the pod with Gabe, was before the draft, but it turned out to not be. You know what I mean? Like, it was because he was, like, wide receiver 30 to 35, like, value-wise, which is, like, man, I was just thinking, like, if they get, like, a Traylon Burks or a Garrett Wilson or some shit like that, like, oh, my God, he could just – he could be much, much lower than that come, come uh, you know, regular season, especially now they've got, you know, Diggs and this rookie that are both sure to play over him. But what happened was sort of the complete opposite. The seas have parted for Gabe Davis. And you know, I get pretty excited. His ceiling is extremely, extremely high. I still see the floor, and it is not a sturdy, sturdy floor. But his ceiling is super high. So, I mean, for all those that follow me and, and are rostering Gabriel Davis, they're nodding with me right now like, yes, dude. I have a free role in Gabe Davis. Because last year you weren't starting Gabe Davis. So if you had any sort of competitive team, you had other – you know, you had a wide receiver one, two, three, four, and Gabe Davis was on your roster. Well, now he's just a free roll. That if he ends up hitting, you insert him in your roster, you play him, and then you sell the whatever the, the you know the the Ty Hill or whatever. You know what I mean? You sell the other more expensive uh, piece that you can now afford to get rid of because Gabe Davis hit. Yeah, and I like I like the I like your idea of you know there are times where you kind of want to hedge your bets and minimize your risk, but then there's other times where it's like. I respect the fact that, Hey, I'm not, I'm not operating out of fear before the draft. Like I'm right. willing to ride it through the draft. And now you've come out 
Nothing happened with Gabe Davis in the draft except for nothing happened. Right. So he, Which he is gained, positive. You know, yes. He gained twenty he gained twenty percent of value, not because you can trade him for twenty percent more, but there's probably twenty percent of the people in your leagues across all your leagues that are now like, okay, I, I might buy that guy. You know, yeah. part part of the value of Dynasty is that you know, what I've started to learn is that a lot of players are value, their value fluctuates, not because you can sell them for more or less than you could yesterday, but because generally there's more people maybe interested in them than, yes. than they were yesterday. Player fatigue. Yeah. Like you, you go to someone now and it's like, Hey man, you want to buy Gabe? Well, maybe they don't want to pay your price, but, but they may make you an offer. Yeah. They're interested. You, you, you try to get them to buy a week before the draft. They're going, Oh dude, he's going to get cucked in the draft. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't even want to touch him. I'll give you a third, you know, like right. so, you, so the, the fact that now you can get somebody at least to the table that might be willing to give you options on a package or something like that is you gain value. You know, even though you can't maybe trade them for more, their availability is more, which yeah. actually, you know, there's, there's more demand, which is good. I mean, that's a value gain in among itself. So I don't think that gets talked about enough, but you, yeah, you gain value just because nothing happened. So, well, Scott, this is uh this has been fun. We're going to continue. This podcast essentially is not over because we're going to just keep going, but we're going to do it on your show. So I'm going to say goodbye to the people. Um, goodbye the undrafted you can go find us now on the part two of the pod which is going to be on on scott's podcast scott tell everybody where they can find that podcast and tell them the name of that podcast so i don't fuck it up because people know i will <laughs> so yeah dynasty and chill uh, dynasty and chill podcast uh you can find me at on twitter at charles chill ffb hashtag dynasty leverage uh, do a couple other things we do dynasty trades in five which is a youtube show uh, pretty much drop one every other day, uh, different topics, a lot of strategy, a lot of theory. If you like what you heard here, uh, it's a lot of that. And then we do talk some players. That's not my strength is like evaluating player by player. I like to you know, go down into the weeds and strategy more, but um, check that out. Uh, and then I do a show with Shane Manila. We do Manic and Chill on DLF's YouTube platform. We do that usually twice a month, uh, but it's just literally me and my best friend going out there and just bullshitting about Dynasty. So if you like that, follow me on those two places. And uh, yeah, good time coming on the uh, Undrafted and uh, catch part two on Dynasty and Chill's feed uh, after you've listened to this one. Absolutely, folks. You will see us soon on Dynasty and Chill. On behalf of everybody here at the Undrafted, on behalf of everybody here at the Undroppables, on behalf of a finally rejuvenated Philadelphia 76ers fan, Mr. Michael P. Duncan. On behalf of the great Scott Connor, I am Jax Falcone, and we are.